Join us every Saturday at 10 a.m. to discuss God's Word. The Gospel according to St. John. You too can add your voice to the conversation. And I have a question for all of you. Now live from the KQQ studios, it's the Grand Forks Bible Study Hour. Well, hello. Not the uh, usual voices they're probably expecting to hear, but it's going to be a good show nonetheless. No, this is uh, this is a lot of fun. I, my name is Brad Schmidt. Of course, the voice you're hearing on the other microphone is Noah Chalaya, and uh, you're probably a little more familiar with his voice than mine. Um, I normally do a talk radio show across town. I also do a podcast, and we are doing a special uh, discussion um, over Easter weekend, of course, to talk about the resurrection and and the implications of the resurrection. I am a former pastor to uh, to give a little bit of my credentials. I hold a, a degree in biblical studies with a uh, focus on pastoral ministries and a minor in biblical languages. Um, and so that's my background a little bit, and that's the the kind of the, the direction I'm coming at this from. Uh, and I've asked Noah to, to join me just because I feel like I do better when Noah's here with me, and uh, we just have a little bit more, uh, uh, a little bit better interaction. So Noah, thank you for uh, for joining me this yeah, afternoon. Yeah, thanks, thanks for having me. So uh, thanks for filling in for the uh, for the Bible study group who, who can't be live this week because uh, Dr. C is out of the country. He's in India. So I am just, uh, I'm here to learn. We are going to talk about the resurrection. Noah, this is this is one of the things that, that um, uh, is is a passion of mine. I, I've learned over the years as a former pastor and having had lots of theological discussions on my regular radio show and and in other uh, discussions as well. What I, one of the things I've come to realize is that as Christians, we very seldom seem to be able to grasp uh, of the implications of the resurrection because. We celebrate Christmas, and that's great, and we should celebrate Christmas, and, and Christmas is, of course, an important event, the advent of Christ and, and God sending his His salvation, and it's the beginning of the plan of, of, of redeeming the world to himself, and all of those Christianese kind of terms that we, that we are all so familiar with. But beyond that, if, if Christ comes as a baby— and a few wise men from the east come and bring him some fancy gifts, and Herod tries to kill him, and this kid grows up and does some cool stuff in the temple at 12 years old and and you know goes on to perform a few miracles at a wedding and heal a couple of dudes with leprosy and, and some of these things, but then is just killed by the Roman government or the Jewish ruling class or whatever, mm-hmm. and that's it. If that's where it stops, if the, if the story of Easter stops at the cross— then that story never gets outside of the first century. Right. If, if Jesus' body was still in the tomb when Martha and Mary show up on Sunday morning, if mm-hmm. his body's still in the tomb, that's the end of that story. Right. Because the Romans have put down one more rebellion. The, and and they've, the, the Romans effectively predicted that that would be the end of it. Right. And Christians at the time effectively predicted that was not going to be the end of it. And so right. now the world is now the stage is set for the world to see 
is Jesus the yeah. son of God yeah. or was well, he just and, a demented guy that ate some bad pizza and had a crazy dream? And, and Christ's followers, not they didn't even really quite grasp the implications of it at the time. I mean, we sure. we, we saw they they just believed that pretty much this was going to be the end of it. The, the Romans believed this was going to be the end of it. The rebellion was was quelled and and the the Jewish ruling class had finally gotten rid of this teacher who had embarrassed them on so many occasions. They would mm-hmm. ask him a question and try to trip him up and he would respond in a way that they would most of the time just walk away muttering under their breath get this guy and you know mm-hmm. and and so if if the resurrection doesn't happen that's the end of that story sure the story of Jesus Christ of Nazareth goes nowhere beyond maybe maybe it makes it to the end of the week you know because right. people are talking about man did you see that we thought that guy was kind of innocent dude and the 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 romans crucified him and it was because the jewish leaders were mad at him and that that like that's the end of it maybe it makes it to tuesday afternoon maybe it makes it all the way to next saturday but beyond that the story's over and so the 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 implications of the resurrection are such that everything that we know that everything that has happened over the last two thousand years to the point that even our calendar is based on this guy's birth. Whether you believe that Jesus Christ was the Son of God or any of that is is real, mm-hmm. like the the way the world works is it revolves on some respects around this guy that was on the planet two thousand years ago. And, and you know, and interesting, and you've pointed this out in some of the other uh, content that you've created. Uh, this idea that uh, a lot of U.S. laws are based in oh, yeah. Christian fundamental values. Yeah, Judeo-Christian values. I mean, we we have laws in in I think it's in twenty one states still, and up until recently, um, a majority of the states have laws against adultery. You know, most of our even our even our um, civil laws. We we think oftentimes of you know, thou shalt not kill and thou shalt not steal. Those of course are laws on our books as well, and 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 not just a few of the Ten Commandments, but even some of our civil laws, the laws that we you know, if I crash into your car with my car, um, I have to cover the cost of the repairs to your car or my insurance yeah. company does or whatever. Right. That is based in Judeo-Christian principles. There's the, the old story in the Old Testament. If my bull kills the neighbor's bull, then the, then it's my responsibility to have my bull slaughtered and I split half of my bull with your bull and, and or with you. And, and there's restitution that needs to be made. Sure. In that civil matter. So, uh, yeah, so absolutely. Everything that we know is based on, um, or most, I shouldn't say everything, most of what we know is based on Judeo-Christian principles. But so let's let let me try to bring this back and tie this around to to the story of Easter and mm-hmm. and and what has happened. So here's what usually happens on on any given Easter Sunday, whether it's in a, a Lutheran church or a, a a Baptist church or a Catholic church or or a, a Seventh Day Adventist church or I mean what mm-hmm. any of your mainstream Christian religions or Christian denominations. Typically, the the we we go to church and and we meet some of our friends there, and somebody says he is risen, and we respond with he is risen indeed, and 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 then we clap or do whatever else we do. We sing some songs. The pastor gets up and preaches, and one of the things that he does at, at almost every Easter service I've ever been to, there is this attempt to convince folks because we know a lot of people come to church only on Easter and Christmas. You know, we call them two timers. They, they, <laughs> 
they, they, is that pastor lingo yeah, for the people yeah, that only show up on yeah, Christmas they, and they Easter? They show up on Christmas and Easter. And and we do a little bit of almost every, like say, almost every pastor I've ever ever heard preach on Easter Sunday morning, they, they take the time to try and convince everybody of the historical evidence of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes it almost feels like we're trying to convince ourselves. Like, well, I'm not really sure I believe this. So here's some evidence that I've found that sure. proves, proves my point. And we bring up the, and, and honestly, there is actually an incredible amount of historical evidence for the, for, for Jesus Christ, uh, having walked the earth. In fact, there's actually more, this is a true story. There's more historical evidence, extra biblical historical evidence outside of, of, of the, the old Testament, new Testament, you know, any Christian writings outside of that, there's more historical evidence for Jesus Christ as a guy who walked the earth than Julius Caesar. Having bought the earth, really? Yeah, but nobody ever, nobody ever. Most of what we have from Ju- about Julius Caesar is actually from Shakespeare. Is you know, that because? I mean, do you think that's because uh, Jesus was more hotly contested or more questioned than Julius Caesar was, and so people have done more research and done more documentation on it? Yeah, I, I mean, I suppose that's part of it. Um, I guess the the I, I'm not really sure why. Um, that's true, but it is true. And it, and so, and, and nobody ever questions whether or not Julius Caesar was a real person, right? Like there's, right. there's, we just go, oh yeah, well, it's, yeah, Julius Caesar was killed by Brutus on March 15th. And, you mm-hmm. know, we just didn't know that that's true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so anyway, we, we, we bring up all kinds of historical evidence. We mentioned that, you know, both Jesus's brother and his mother, in fact, his entire family worshiped him as God. Now think of this, how do you reconcile, like you, you have a family like we Mm -hmm. all do what would it take do you think for your mom to be convinced that you're the son of god a lot (laughs) (laughs) you know i mean i I mean think about that think about that for just yeah because she gave birth to me right right? and she changed your diaper and she knows all the times that you misbehaved as a kid like if there's a flaw in us the people that are going to know about that flaw is going to be our family James, the brother of Jesus, when 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 asked to recant his story, mm-hmm. his his deeply held belief that his brother Jesus was the Son of God, he he refused to recant his story. They threw him off the top of the temple. Didn't die from that. He he threw him off the temple. Body all broken and shattered, and bones broken, and probably massive trauma of other sorts and internal injuries and whatnot. He still refused to recant his story, so they stoned him to death. Now, if if your dad mm-hmm. came to you and said, "Noah, I am the Son of God. I am the incarnation of Christ." And and you said, ah, but fine. Let's let's run. Yeah, right. Let's run with this. Yeah, let's see sure. where this goes. Are you going to defend that story to to the point of allowing someone to throw you off the top of a building and then stone you to death? So right? people like, will die for what they believe is true, but people will not die and be tortured what they and then know die for what they be know is false. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Exactly. So, and and on top of that, in less than three centuries, essentially, you got twelve cowards. Well, eleven cowards, mm-hmm. and and. A couple of women who, at the time, were were basically you know barely more important than livestock. Right. Yeah. You know, so you you had eleven cowards and and a few women in less than three centuries had spread this message of the gospel of Jesus Christ to where half of the Roman Empire had had be- begun to believe and accept the the reality that Jesus Christ was the Son of God and was was God incarnate. Mm-hmm. And for most of those three centuries. It Christianity was illegal to claim Christ as Lord was illegal. It was, it was a it was a death sentence. Mm-hmm. So 
we see all this all the time, and this happens, and, and if you go to church on Sunday morning, I can almost promise you that at some point you'll hear the pastor use some sort of evidence to try to convince you that Jesus Christ really was the Son of God, that he really did walk the earth and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, if you if your pastor doesn't do that, kudos to him. He did a good job. He worked harder at preparing <laughs> his sermon than other pastors did. Um but I'm so I'm gonna I'm gonna yeah. skip I'm gonna skip all that. We we know to be true the resurrection. That's not at question. At least not for me. It's not a question for my guess is most of the people that are listening right. are are that is not at at issue for them. So I'm gonna skip all of that, and and I want to talk about kind of the implications of the resurrection. Now most of us we look around and we know that the world is broken, right? We don't, mm-hmm. that's not really up for debate. Even people who don't buy into Jesus Christ or buy into the, the, the idea of God in any way, shape or form. I mean, the, even the, the most militant of atheists will go, yeah, there's something wrong in this world. There's something right. wrong with humanity. And, and I mean, look no further. Um, this last was a week ago. Or, or even a few days prior, ten days ago, this little boy out in Minneapolis, right, yeah, five year old kid thrown off the top floor of the of the Mall of America. I mean, what what kind of evil has to exist in the heart of a, of a man who would take an innocent five year old and just because he was hoping to be able to kill somebody that day, throw a five year old off the top floor of a mall? Like, like that, that takes a level of evil that most of us can't even comprehend. Right. Like I've thought of doing some pretty bad stuff in my sure. lifetime. Most of the time I, I'm going, eh, I do that. I'm probably going to go to jail. So right. we'll shelve that for, yeah. for another day. <laughs> right. Like, I mean, listen, if we're honest, we've all sure. had some sort of evil thought in our lives. Most of us have never had that evil of a thought. Right. Right. Like it. Takes, and we certainly don't execute on it. Right. Of course. So it takes like it takes an incredible amount of brokenness for someone like that to exist in 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 the world today. Um, we know that the world is broken. We know that there's a problem that has afflicted humanity and afflicted not only humanity, but afflicted the creation. Right, that mm-hmm. like the 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 idea that that if you read the Old Testament, if you read Genesis, um, Adam and Eve were never intended to die. Adam and Eve, had they followed God's plan for creation, would still be alive today. We would be able to go visit them. Mm-hmm. We would be able to stop in and say, "Hey, Adam. Hey, Eve. How's it going?" You know, I'm not sure if that would actually be their names or if it would be some other kind of cool thing that that we call them. But Adam is. Hebrew word for man, Adam, and mm-hmm. actually it would be Adam and Adama or Adama. The Eve woman is mm-hmm. Adama. The Hebrew word for woman is Adama. But anyway, that's irrelevant. We they were never intended to die. That was God's original intention: is that we would all live forever. Mm-hmm. It was because of sin that death entered the world. Not just for humans or humans, but also for plants and animals and everything else. None of this stuff was ever intended to to perish. Mm-hmm. Um, so. 2,000 years before Jesus shows up, there's this guy named Abraham. Abram, God changes his name to Abraham. And he says to Abraham, he says, I know it's broken. I know that this is messed up. I get it. I see it. I know that that the world that you live in is is broken. Even back then, 
Abraham knew that there was something wrong with the world. Abraham knew that 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 the way God intended things to be was not how things were. Mm-hmm. He understood because of the sacrificial system and all that kind of stuff. He knew that this is a problem. There's there's something that is just not right here. Mm-hmm. But God says, I've got a plan to fix it. I, God says to Abraham, I know it's broken and you know it's broken, but I've got a plan to fix it. I am going to 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 bring into existence the kingdom of God. I'm going to do it through you, through your offspring. And it may not even be an offspring that you'll ever see. It, it's, it's going to be somewhere out there, but I know that, that this is broken and I've got a plan to fix it and it's going to be awesome. Mm-hmm. I am going to bring about my kingdom on earth. All of this will be put to rest. All of this will be destroyed and there will be a new kingdom and a new heaven and a new earth. And I've got a plan to fix it. 1,500 years before Jesus shows up, God gave us the law. And he said, this is how it's supposed to work. This is the way things are supposed to be. And the example of that, the one that I've used before, especially speaking with young people, right, is is the issue of premarital sex. Mm -hmm. We do this all the time. We tell kids, don't, 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 don't until you're married. But we never give them the why. We give them the what, but we don't give them the why. And and we say, don't until you're married. And the kids are going, well, Why? Well, if you were God and you had created this this thing called intimacy for for the human beings that you created and you knew all of the issues that came along with engaging in that kind of behavior and you knew about STDs and you knew about the emotional issues that that are connected to to intimacy and you knew about all of the stuff that that happens with with um, a, a young girl getting pregnant out of wedlock and having to be a single mom and raise a child on her own and, and the it, emotional right, and, and the emotional, and the emotional baggage that, that if you knew all of that and you were God and you had this this 30,000 foot view of all of that and you knew all of that, what would you say? Well, you'd say, don't until you're married. Right. Exactly. And that's what God said. God is a very logical God. He's There's actually very few times in scripture anywhere, very, very few. Um, I can think of one, maybe two, um, where God says, just trust me. Just do it because I said so, because mm-hmm. I'm God. That, that's actually very rare. Almost, almost always with, like I said, maybe one or two exceptions, is is there a time where God says, just trust me? Most of the time he says, he says, um, this is what needs to be done. Here's why. This is, this is what I need you to do. I, thou shalt not commit murder. Not, not just do it because I said, but we know, common sense tells us, and, and, and we understand that, that life is precious. And if, if people can just go randomly around committing murder whenever they want, like society would nearly immediately descend into chaos, literally overnight. Right. So there's, there's always good reason behind why God says what he says for us to do. So 1500 years before God gave us Jesus, he gave us the law. And interestingly enough, if you really dig into the law and you really understand, and here's the thing, right? Our generation, or at least the, the younger generation, we look at the law as a bad word. Like it's right. like a bad thing, right? Yep. Like laws mean and it's it's restrictive and it, it fact, hampers it, it, our freedom. It influences and, and, the entire way that we view the entire Bible because yep. we start to look at the Old Testament as the law and right. so to be shunned and the New Testament as grace and so we can do whatever we want because we live under grace. Right. And we take we take what should be a beautiful message and twist it into something right. really perverted. But the law always points us to Christ. Absolutely. Law, in and, both the Old yep, Testament and the New Testament. Yep, and, and I believe it's in Romans 
five. I can't remember off the top of my head, but it's it, you know the law is the schoolmaster that leads mm-hmm. us to Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe that's in Corinthians. Where, I, anyway, it doesn't matter. It's in the it's it's, in the Bible somewhere. Paul wrote it, right? <laughs> if it's in the New Testament, it's, chances are sixty six percent chance Paul wrote, Paul wrote it. it. Yeah. Um, so the the law pointed us to Christ, and then a thousand years before that, so or before Christ. So we've got two thousand years ago, we got Abraham. Fifteen hundred years before uh, Christ, we've got the law. A thousand years before Christ, we get the prophets, and they all come along, and and they say God is going to roll in the kingdom. It's this thing is happening. There's they they sing about the 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 great things that God is going to do and the, and the psalmists get together and they they write these beautiful songs and poems about what's going to happen and at the end of the old testament god goes silent for 400 years now imagine for just a second you and i have been involved in radio mm-hmm. um in, in various ways and 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 podcasting and whatnot in various ways for some time. 40 seconds gets us fired. Yeah. 40 seconds, <laughs> 60 seconds is an eternity right? in, in dead silence. And, and I saw this one time illustrated a pastor walked up um, to give the message as he was getting ready to preach. He's, you know, we finished singing the songs or whatever. And he stands up and he steps up to the pulpit and he just stands there, stares at the, at the congregation for 400 seconds Almost seven minutes. Four it'd be what six and two thirds minutes. Four mm-hmm. hundred seconds. He just stands there and stares at the congregation. And I mean, you're we're sixty seconds in, and people are just squirming. Sure, like there's like people are looking around. So he was doing this to make a point. Well, yeah, he's doing it intentionally. But I mean, people are starting to look around. They're you know they're checking their watches. They're trying you know did the pastor have a stroke? What you know what's <laughs> What's going on? Like, I mean, people. Were, What's he doing standing you, up there? Yeah, you could see that. Just that, but he he kept enough eye contact with people that it kept them from totally rioting on him. Sure, right. So he gets to the four hundred seconds, and he goes, "That was four hundred seconds of silence." He says, "Now imagine four hundred years of hearing nothing from God." Like just that, and it was so powerful the way he presented it. And mm-hmm. I didn't do it really justice, but I mean, just such a powerful experience for 400 years. God went silent, didn't say a word. And then along comes this weirdo wearing weird clothes, eating bugs and, and like living out in the, in the boonies and just like he was your original hippie. Right. Like, so yeah, like he, like he was like John the Baptist was, I mean, he was every, uh, societal, you know, uh, social faux pas. Uh, yeah. And everything, like everything you can imagine about being the uncomfortable weirdo was John the Baptist. Mm-hmm. And he comes along and he's, he begins with this message that it's here. The kingdom of God is here. It's arrived. We are, it, it, it's here. And, and, and I know that it's been broken for thousands of years. And I know that it's been, God's been silent for 400 years, but it's here. The kingdom of God is here. And Jesus embarks on his ministry. As, as John the Baptist is proclaiming what was promised to Abraham, what was foreshadowed in the law, what was, what was revealed and was promised by the prophets and celebrated in the Psalms, it's here. The kingdom of God is here. And Jesus embarks in three years of ministry. And he does all kinds of cool stuff and he does miracles at weddings and he does uh, healing lepers and, and all sorts of things like that, that, that just 
amaze everybody and set the entire area around Judea essentially on fire. And and he ta- he starts talking about the Son of Man being lifted up and and the Son of Man being sacrificed. And he starts talking in in these parables and these teachings and and people are are trying to figure out what is going on and and who this guy is and the way he teaches. You see this throughout the the New Testament and out the, throughout the Gospels. When everybody, whenever somebody talked about the way he teach, he said he taught with one as one with authority. Mm-hmm. So often the Jewish teachers and the Jewish rabbis of the time they would say, "Well, so and so and so and so and so and so said this, and here's why we believe what we believe." Mm-hmm. And such and such a rabbi said this, and such and such a rabbi said that, and such and such a rabbi said that, and 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 so therefore this is why you can only carry your mat so far half a day's travel on on the sabbath and and so and so and so and so said this and so and so said that and so therefore this is why we have these rules and and jesus comes along and he says you've heard it said and not therefore i am telling you but jesus said you have heard it said but i tell you he spoke Just with, he spoke yeah. with authority sure he, he said but the truth is this you've heard this you've heard this you've heard this you've heard an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth but i say if one man strikes you on the cheek turn to him the other cheek also you've heard it said uh it to 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 an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth but i say if a man forces you to go one mile go with him two miles like, it, mm-hmm. like he he set everything upside down he said if you want to be first you got to be last can you imagine the confusion that that would have created sure what like, wait, if I want to be first, I have to be, I have to be the best student in, in the little Jewish Torah schools as a little mm-hmm. five-year-old. I have to memorize the entire, and actually most Jewish boys, by the time when they're about 12 years old, had memorized most of the Old Testament, like right. could recite it right. from memory. Like in order to be, and this is another thing that was make, it was so, that was so incredible about Jesus choosing the 12 that he chose as disciples, Peter, James, and John, fishermen. Right, like right, it, not what, rabbis. Right, yeah, what right. that said is that they weren't good enough. Mm-hmm. They didn't do a good enough job memorizing the Torah. They didn't do a good enough job memorizing the prophets. They didn't do a good enough job memorizing all of that kind of stuff. And they weren't good enough students, so they couldn't be followers of any of the other rabbis. So mm-hmm. they ended up having to take a trade. Interestingly enough, Jesus was a carpenter. Like, like I, I've never been able to quite reconcile like how. How is it that Jesus didn't do a good enough job right. that he ended up in a trade with his dad? Yeah. Like, I mean, of course, we all know that that was God's plan and whatnot. Yes. But um, your, your point being is how, how would he have not known the scriptures well <laughs> enough to, yeah. Right. We saw at 12 years old that he was already embarrassing the Pharisees and the Sadducees in the temple at 12 years old. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so, um, so anyway, Jesus comes along. He does this incredible ministry. And he starts talking about, we got to go to Jerusalem. It's time to go to Jerusalem. And the disciples are going, come on. Jesus, every time we start going to Jerusalem or start talking about going to Jerusalem, it just always turns out bad. And and here's the thing that we know about the disciples. They weren't, I don't think, so much worried about Jesus getting in trouble or getting crucified. They were worried about themselves sure. getting, getting in trouble. Sure. They're like, Jesus, every time we go somewhere, you say something that ticks somebody off and we're going to end up feeling the wrath of that at some point. Right. Uh, and we know this because Peter 
you know, denies Christ the night of his 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 trial, mm-hmm. denies him three times. I don't know who that guy is. He G, Peter wasn't Peter. Jesus, we can't go to Jerusalem. It wasn't because he was concerned about Jesus. Peter right. was concerned about Peter. Sure. Um, so anyway, so Jesus gets to the cross. I heard somebody say this. It was actually at a Bible study I was doing last Sunday. Um, they said one of the things that I heard that I was it always kind of changed my perspective on stuff was that had Jesus not been forced on the cross by the Romans and and the the Jewish leading um, class or ruling class, he would have climbed up there and nailed himself on. Because that was his purpose. That's right. he was. He that's was, why he came he to was, earth. Yeah, yeah sure. he was going. That that spent thirty three years to get to right. that point. Yeah, he was. He was going there. That was his. That was his mission. Um, and so, this this idea of of Jesus getting the cross, we all kind of get that, right? Like it's pretty easy for us as Christians to understand. Hey, I'm a wretched sinner. I needed a savior, mm-hmm. right? That's I, I. Nobody has to convince me that I'm a bad dude. Or I've done sure. bad things, or or I've I've you know deserved some some significant punishment, and and I don't think anyone who's ever been honest with himself for even a second would deny that they are in need of a savior. Um, so Jesus gets to the cross, and he's he's executed, he's crucified, but then along comes the resurrection, and. The resurrection, like I said, as we started off this discussion, the resurrection is what kicked all of this off. I was, when I was a pastor, I would regularly on Christmas, I would regularly preach on Christmas. I would preach an Easter message on Christmas morning because the, the advent of Christ, the coming of Christ was certainly spectacular, so much so that it was sung about angels, um, sung about by angels in, in, in a, a miraculous moment. I mean, think about that. Go back to, to that, that hillside or, or, or field in, in 3 or 4 B.C., and these shepherds are sitting around, hanging out, doing whatever it is that shepherds do at midnight or whatever, whenever this happened. And there's a moment where, where that curtain between earth and, and the world that we know and that veil between the other side, whatever that looks like is torn open for a moment The the curtains rolled back, the, 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 um, the veil is separated for a moment and, and some shepherds out in the middle of a field somewhere get to see a glimpse of heaven and see what it looks like and what angels look like. And, and, and of course the, the, the interesting thing to me, when you look at scripture, mm-hmm. the terrifying nature of angels, we always want to make them out to be these cute little cherubs. Right. You know, yeah. That, right. That, that, that you hang on the Christmas tree. Right, kind of thing. Yeah. On, yeah. You know, naked babies with, yep. with a, with a, with a halo. Um, angels must've been terrifying beings. Because every single time, every single time in scripture, when an angel shows up, the first thing they say, don't, don't be, be afraid. afraid. <laughs> I know. I get it. I'm a terrifying, like, like this, like everything that I am is horrifyingly scary because I'm huge and like I've got the powerful, wings yeah. and there's flaming swords and all of that kind of stuff going on. Like the first thing out of their mouth is, all right, wait, 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 don't run away. Don't be scared. <laughs> I'm just an angel. Um, so, like, imagine what that moment had to be. 
like when that veil is set back and and we get a glimpse into whether it's the throne room of of God in heaven or whether I, and we don't know we just know that the angels showed up and were singing mm-hmm. like that that had to, there's no wonder these these shepherds went into Bethlehem dancing in the streets and and sh- singing and shouting what they had seen mm-hmm. i mean we can't even begin to fathom that um so when i preached about Christmas, it always pointed to Easter. It had to, mm-hmm. because from that moment, actually from 2000 years prior, when God said to Abraham, I know it's broken. I know there's something wrong, but I've got a plan to fix it. It's mm-hmm. going to be this. It's going to be the moment when my son steps out of the tomb, has defeated death, has conquered hell, holds the keys to hell in his hand and says, I've done it. It is accomplished. It has been finished. There is no longer any need for death. There is no longer any need for 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 sacrifice. Sacrifice. There's no longer the pain, the tears, the the death and the crying and the 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 tragedy is over. I have won. Like if from the moment that God said to Abraham, I've got a plan, that's what it was. It led to that. The 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 psalmist Isaiah talks about the 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 stripes of Christ being the thing that that heals us. Like the moment that he was 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 resurrected on Sunday morning, we were healed. Now we may not see the benefits of that. Of course, we all know that everybody dies and whatnot. We may never see that, um, on this side of heaven. Some of us might, we don't know. You know, I mean, that's the whole thing, right? He comes like a thief in the night and the, right. we don't know when that's going to be. It could be tomorrow. It could be in the next 10 minutes. Yep. It could be in the next 10,000 years. We don't know, but we may never see that on this side of heaven. We certainly won't see it on this side of glorification depending on what your theological terminology is for that. Um, but it was that moment, that resurrection, that kicked off everything we've experienced in the last 2,000 years as a, as a, as a species, as, a, as a, a world, as a universe. Mm-hmm. That moment. The, can you imagine, for me, the, 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 the story of the two women going to the tomb on, on that Sunday morning, they were surprised. Like they, they, they didn't get it. Jesus had told them I'm going to be crucified three days later. I'm going to come back to life. And they get there and they go, wait, where is he? It actually happened. <laughs> Where'd he go? Why? And, and there's the, the two angels or whoever they were that were standing there. The two men, um, you know, said, why are you looking for the dead or looking for the living among the dead? Like even they're going, all right, come on. Jesus, well, Jesus. they thought he's, they thought, I suppose they thought that the, that they stole the body. Right. You know, so that, that I yeah. think that's what they, and you Peter, know, that's, that seems more logical than yeah. somebody coming back to life. Right. They, well, of course they run back and tell Peter, Peter's like, wait, what? And he runs down there, looks in and they go back home. Like, huh, that's weird. Wonder where he went. <laughs> <laughs> they, they just go back home and they like try to figure it out for a while. Like it anyway. So that moment then 
is the beginning of the redemption. And so Jesus promised, God promised in all of this, right? That the suffering would end. There'd be no more tears. There'd be no more pain. There'd be no more tragedy. And we knew that that moment was, that was it, right? That was the thing. So then the question is, well, if that was the moment that there would be no more tears, no more pain, no more suffering, no more tragedy, where is it? Right? Like you and I sitting here, we know that that's not happened yet. There's still, there's still no, there's still tragedy. There's still sadness. There's still poor people. There's still sick people. There's still, you know, all this stuff. There's all this bad stuff. So what's going on? There's still people that, that don't have, um, you know, shoes that need them in third world countries. And Matt Chandler, um, he's a pastor in Flower Mound, Texas. He addressed this so brilliantly in his discussion about the resurrection, um, which some of this material I've kind of taken from him. Um, but he talks about, he goes, if you're smart, you look around and you know that there's still tragedy, there's still suffering. And then he makes this statement. He says, yeah, stupid, <laughs> go do something about it. <clears throat> right? Like there's a Matthew West song, um, I created you mm -hmm. and, and it's essentially like, you know, people raising their fist at God. Like if you're God, why don't you do something? And, and God's response is essentially, I did, I created you. Right. Go do something mm -hmm. about it. And, and so the resurrection in isn't, the end, you just don't have to get too far sidetracked. Isn't there another one? Uh, is it a casting crown song? If we are the body. Yeah. Kind of has the same message. Yep. yep. Yeah. It's a great tune actually. Um, th there's, so the implications of the resurrection are not just that without the resurrection, there is no Christianity without the resurrection. The, the world doesn't change and the storyline is the same. And it's just another, you know, uh, rebellion squashed by the Romans and another, uh, sectarian uprising been put to rest by the Jewish, the Jewish ruling class and, and all that. The implications of the resurrection was that was the moment that God began to redeem the world to himself. And, and with, with the resurrection, he's invited us to be ministers of reconciliation. And so, so often what happens is I can't go be a minister of reconciliation because I'm not there yet myself. Mm -hmm. I've still got this thing going on in my life. I've still got this problem. I'm not there yet myself. So without the, without the, the resurrection, or I'm sorry, with the resurrection, we don't have to wait until we got it all together to go begin the the ministry of reconciliation. I said it today. I closed out my radio show on on the other station today. I closed out my show making the statement that if you're looking to me as an example of what Christ is supposed to be like, you're looking in the wrong place because I'm going to let you down. Mm -hmm. Every single time I'm going to let you down. So the, 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 it's interesting to hear you say that because having known you for a while and having developed quite a, what I would consider to be a fairly deep personal relationship with you, I would consider you to be one of the shining examples, <laughs> right? Like when I, when I think about people that would that center their life around, around God, you're one of the first people that comes to mind. So it's interesting to hear you say you, you see yourself as a bad example. And I suppose by the, I suppose by the definition of what the Bible sets right. forth or by the example that Jesus led, I suppose you are a terrible yeah. example, but, but, but here's, and here's why um, it's not because I, I think lowly of myself or I've got low self-esteem or anything like mm -hmm. that. But what's, what's scary about the righteousness of God 
is not that when we're bad, that offends him. What's scary about the righteousness of God is that even when we're good, that's still offensive to him. Like even, even the greatest human being that has ever walked the earth is in need of a savior. Hmm. Right? Like mm-hmm. we are, so, the, the world has been so. That whole idea that we all fall yeah. even at the foot yeah. of the cross. Yeah. Like we've, we've all been so tainted by sin that, that even, like I said, even when we're good, that offends the righteousness of God. And so um, it's, it's, it's this idea that, that we have a calling on our lives to be this minister of reconciliation. And in that experience, we are then exposed and we can get to work on the heart issues, right? The, the, the way Matt Chandler explained it in his discussion of the resurrection, he says, the reason you fight with besetting sin is, is the theological term. The reason you fight with that one thing that you know you shouldn't do, but you keep doing it the way you treat your wife or the way you treat your kids or the way you uh, behave in business or the way you cheat on your taxes every single year or whatever it is, when that, that thing that, that you know you shouldn't do, but you just keep doing and you can't quite seem to get past it is because you've not begun to step into that role of of accepting your job as a minister of reconciliation and and once once you begin to um step into that role as a minister of reconciliation um then is that is when then that is when you can begin to um begin to have your heart exposed and start to work on, uh, on, on the conditions of the heart. How many times have you heard the story, Noah, where, um, someone goes on a mission trip, they spend some time in, in Africa or in some other third world country. And it's in that moment when they've, when they've sacrificed some personal luxury or some personal, um, comfort, in order to help another human being. It's that it's in those moments when their faith is deepened, when they really go, man, I never knew how much God loved us until I saw this thing. Sure. I never knew how much God wanted to be a part of. I never realized how someone with such little material wealth could be so happy. And, and it's in those moments of personal sacrifice. And I'm not saying you got to go to Africa in order to do this. It's not the point I'm getting at, right. but like th- there's, there's, there's a million different ways that we can, uh, um, my wife and I sponsor two, two kids through compassion international over 35 bucks a month. Right. Mm-hmm. Who can't do that. Right. I mean, yeah, well, yeah, we all honestly, could if we wanted right, to. I mean, it's exactly. not even a pizza. Right. Exactly. It's, 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 it's to, it's to a point where I, you know, maybe give up your, your, your sugar or your, uh, your pumpkin spice latte or whatever other, you know, Starbucks drink that you drink every single morning at five bucks a cup. You know, that, that, that thing that you, um, put aside so that, we can become ministers of reconciliation and and the the implications of the resurrection and the importance of the resurrection is in the very very real experience of working towards bringing other people to Christ mm-hmm. whether that's through um giving away um wireless internet access points or whether that's, you know, standing on the street corner with a Bible in one hand and and sharing the gospel, 
mm-hmm. or or whether it's going to Africa on a mission trip or or whatever that the the experience of sharing the gospel of Christ with other people is is where we as Christians need to understand the resurrection is leading us because the 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 death on the cross is important yes jesus died on the cross for our sins but if jesus never came out of that tomb he's just another guy that died right yeah, I and mean, you know it's interesting because we have as human beings, I feel like especially those of us who like you and I really get into to biblical doctrine, we like talking right. about it and stuff. But at some point we have to acknowledge that we have outstudied our ability to love other people. Oh, yeah. Right? And I and I'm just as guilty of that as the yeah. next person, but I can tell you right and left what the Bible says and why what some what somebody is doing is wrong right. and doesn't follow biblical doctrine and I've got all these different ways that I justify yep. it and excuse it in my head, but the truth is all I've done is outlearned my capacity to love other people. Yeah, you know, I I heard this explained, and I can't remember who it was. It was it was is is not original to me, but I think it might have been Francis Chan. He was talking about. He says he says think about. It, he says if I tell my daughter to go clean her room, and that's the command that I give her, go clean mm-hmm. your room. And she comes back to me two hours later, and and I say, did you clean your room? And she says, well, no, Dad, but I did invite two of my friends over. And and we studied what it would look like, and 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 right. <laughs> and, and and imagined how great it would be yep. if we had actually cleaned my room. And we told everybody yeah. else how they should clean their rooms. Yeah. And we talked about how everybody else should also clean their rooms. And in fact, we even went back and did a study in in Greek as to as to what it means to clean a room, and like all of that. <laughs> should we st- use cleaners right. or should we just pick things up? Is it an organization or yeah, does it involve it, yeah. sterilization? And- <laughs> right. Like all of that is 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 if 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 we tell our kids to go clean a room and that's what they come back with, we're not going to praise them for, for studying it so well. Right. We're going to ground them for not getting it done. Right. Yeah. You know? And so there's some of that, like, like, and, and I don't want this to sound like a, like a, like this is a works based faith. Sure. That's, that's not, that's not at all the point that I'm getting at is, is, but it's, it, it's it, it, like Jesus says, if you love me, mm-hmm. you'll follow my commands. Like if our kids love us, they'll clean their room, not out of fear of retribution for not cleaning it, not out of, of, of fear of, of being grounded or whatever, but our kids out of our love for us because they know that we love them and want what's best for them. And we know that if their room is too messy, they could trip over their toys and fall and hit their head and end up with stitches or whatever, like out of their love for us, which stems from our love for them. They'll do what we command them to do. The concept of living from love and acceptance rather than living for exactly. love and acceptance. Exactly. Yeah. And and that's an that's an interesting concept too for me. And it's one of the things that I've actually kind of failed at as a parent and and is the idea of is I wanted my kids growing up and, and they're much older now and, and I've worked through some of this with them, but I wanted them to obey me because I was the authority figure. Right. I think that's a guy thing. It is. It, of course it is. But like I, what I've come to realize is that I would rather have my kids want to obey me because they love me and want to see me pleased because I love them and I want to see them experience pleasure. Sure. Right? Like that. Like the, the things that I do for my kids is not because, well, it's my duty as a father. Mm-hmm. It's because I love them and I want to bring them pleasure. Mm-hmm. 
you know, in, in whatever right. realm capacity that, that means, yeah, whatever yeah. that yeah, looks sure. like. So the, this, and this again is, it comes back. This is the implications. This is the importance of the resurrection because by, by acknowledging the resurrection that Christ did defeat all of that, that he did overcome all of that, that we can then live in that power, in that strength and live beyond our selfishness Mm -hmm. we can live beyond our need for five gazillion channels on our tvs we can live beyond the need for um you know and i'm again pointing the fingers only at me we can live beyond the need for a a $500 pair of, of shooting glasses. Mm -hmm. We can live beyond the the need for a $150 pair of sunglasses and a a $500 cell phone Mm -hmm. and a, and a, and a new laptop and a, this and a, that and the other thing, like we can live beyond all of that and lean into the power of the resurrection for the purpose of bringing that same joy to other people and to, to people who do not experience, who do not understand what it means to live in that sort of freedom and, and liberty. And this is, this is the other side of it. And and this is where for me as a recovering addict, right? Oftentimes that you hear people say, I don't want to. And in fact, a, a, a pastor called into my radio show today and, and, and said this, he said that, that, um, People are afraid to submit their lives to Christ or submit to Christ because they don't want to give up control. And I've actually heard Mm. people say that I don't want to lose control of my life. I don't want to give up the control of my life and end up having to go to church every Sunday and blah, 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 and on and on and whatever. And, and, and so like, First of all, the myth that you're actually in control of your life right, yes. in the first place is, comical. Is, is, is somewhat comical and, 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 so then for me as an addict, I didn't under, I thought I was free to do whatever I want, right? Mm-hmm. I could do all of the, the, the things that I was doing. I could, I could enjoy all of the, the sinful pleasures that I was enjoying because I had freedom mm-hmm. to do that. And when then I, so one day you woke up and realized it wasn't all it was cracked up well, to be. Right. I woke up. I, Pun I, intended. I literally, yeah, I literally, I, <laughs> I literally, I literally was living in a hotel room for $12 a night that I couldn't pay for. And I realized that my addiction that I thought was the liberty I was enjoying was actually the, the bondage that had trapped me. Right. Had, had, had put me in, um, in prison. Servitude. Yeah. And it, and it was when I, when I stepped away from the addiction through the power of Christ that I realized it was at that moment that the liberty was not in doing whatever I wanted, but the liberty was in submitting my life to a power that had my best interest in mind. And that is, is a, is really, um, an amazing place to be. Like I I will, I will tell you as a person who has not ever had the experience, like I don't have a cool salvation story, right? Like, and from what I understand, getting one is a real pain in the tuckus anyway. So I I, I wouldn't advise it. Yeah. So, you know, you know, having a, having a, having a testimony is a great idea. Getting one's a pain in the, in the butt, but I don't have that experience because I just grew up in the church. But what I will tell you is having lived my entire adult life in submission to God, I never have ever felt like, I desired to yeah. be in more control. I liked the fact that somebody way smarter yeah. than me, way more capable than me, way more powerful than me with a much bigger picture and a lot more experience in history 
gets get, gets yeah. to make those decisions and and just relay them in very simple steps that no one can follow. I like that. Yeah, you know, and part of that is just kind of my personality because being kind of a geek and just ones and zeros and stuff like that. I like a process. I like a code. Right, uh, and it's it's laid out for me. Well, inter- I enjoy that. Interestingly enough, you're in good company. Um, the famous evangelist Billy Graham, his wife Ruth, mm-hmm. talked about that quite regularly. She goes, "I I don't have that story." I don't yeah. rem- I don't remember a time where I gave my life to Christ. She said because my earliest memories mm-hmm. were submitting my life to Christ. Like right. the, literally the earliest thing she ever remembered was living in submission to God. Like sure. she's like I, I don't know what that's like. And yep. and and so you're in good company if that's if that's your story. And and here's the other thing too. People have asked me you said, "Well, I suppose though if you had to do it over again, you you would you do it the same way because look at your story." It's absolutely not. Right. It was hellish. Yeah. Right. There's yeah. no way I would do that all again. Yeah. If I could go back and do it all over again, I would live my life in accordance with Christ's commands from the beginning. Right. Exactly. It would have been much, much easier. Yeah. So, yeah. Th- so, anyway, all of that to say is we're, we're kind of wrapping things up here in in the discussion of the resurrection. Um, the the important thing for me is that the the resurrection allows us to give people a taste of the supernatural, the, the eternal, mm-hmm. um, the, a, a taste of Jesus by living our lives differently. The idea of sanctification is a, it's a theological term. That a lot of people kind of throw around, but the idea of being sanctified, it simply means being set apart, being different, being outside of the norm. And, and so, being sanctified for the purpose of giving people a taste of the kingdom that God promised to us 2000 years ago to Abraham, that, that the, 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 the law pointed us towards 1500 years ago, that the prophets and the psalmist sang about and preached about and prophesied about a thousand years ago. And then 2000 years ago, a thousand years before Christ. And then 2000 years ago, along comes this John the Baptist saying the kingdom is here, the kingdom is here, make straight the paths, the kingdom is here. That that gives us, that the resurrection gives us the, the, the strength, the power, the, the ability, whatever you want to call it, to, to live into that, to lean back into that and, and live with, um, with purpose outside of and beyond what holds us back mm-hmm. because like I said, I, I still get I still on a regular basis think, Oh my gosh, how could I have done that? thing? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, like how could I have thought that thing? Mm-hmm. How could I have said that thing? You know, my, how could I have snapped at my wife or my kids like that? Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's, 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 it's almost embarrassing, you know, and, and there is going to be a day the, the the mirage that we live in the 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 world that we see is going to be lifted and that veil is going to be torn back and some of us are going to be really embarrassed about what is exposed about us i hope and i pray and i'm trying to live my life in a way that i'm not and it's a challenge every day right like it's it's not easy um and there are times, even in conversations I've had with you, mm-hmm. where I thought, oh my gosh, I can't believe I just said that. can't believe I just thought that. 
Can't hmm. believe I just behaved that. It's funny because I, I think about it. There's nothing that comes to mind. So whatever it was, just know that my depravity right. apparently meets or exceeds yours. Well, and that's and that's the thing. Is, as silly as it sounds, th- there is some beauty in that. Is that we are all on the same playing field. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm no better than you, and you're no better than me, and nobody listening is better than any of us. We all are. Um, and and here's one of the keys that that I guess I'll leave everybody with is the 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 biggest and most important key to any of this. Um, is that you is once you are able to recognize and acknowledge the depth of your own depravity, mm-hmm. it makes it much easier to come to Christ and say, I am a wretched sinner um, in need of a savior. There's a great, if you ever get a chance to watch the movie, amazing grace about the story of, of, um, of William Wilberforce. Mm-hmm. There's a, there's a moment in there where he's talking to the guy who wrote the song, amazing grace. And he says, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I see. And he says to to William Wilberforce, he said, did I write those words? And William Wilberforce says, yes, yes, you did. And he said, and it's such a brilliant, the way the actor delivers the line is such a brilliant. He goes, and now it's finally true. Like that is such a powerful moment in that movie. If you've never seen it, it's, I haven't. It, yeah, I have to oh check my it out. gosh, it is such a powerful moment, and it is 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 when you are able to recognize the depth of your own depravity. It is at that moment that that you are finally able to see with with clarity. Hey, before we're out of time, just uh, just uh, I just want to say, so you do a talk radio show on thirteen ten KNOX. Yes, people can find it at knoxradio.com. They can also find your your weekly show, the Schmidt Show. Had a guest appearance here on KEQQ, but that's at theschmidtshow.com. Yep. And we might do part two of this at some point, huh? Yeah, this is a lot of fun. I, I like doing this. We'll have to do it again. All right, man. Thanks again.